0: Let me begin by just correcting one element of Brother Hall's introduction. I serve as a member of the 5th Quorum of the Seventy, not as a member of the 1st Quorum of the Seventy. I would also point out that given Sister Bednar's remarks about the spirit of Rick's, the importance of both preserving and enhancing that sacred quality on this campus, would you please consider the events of this day and how vital this institution is? how vital Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah is, how vital Brigham Young University, Hawaii is. What happens on this campus to me and to you has never been more needed in the world than it is now. So truly, we have a responsibility to perpetuate that legacy and not just keep it the same, but improve upon it and make it even better. It's my privilege to welcome each of you to Brigham Young University, Idaho. This is truly an historic time for all of us who study and serve at this great institution. Sister Bednar and I pray that your experience here in Rexburg will be spiritually edifying, intellectually engaging, and most importantly, eternally worthwhile. I am beginning my fifth year as service as the president of this institution. When Sister Bednar and I first arrived on campus in 1997, we began inviting students to participate with us in home evening. On a typical Monday night, we meet with between 80 to 150 students. Thus, during the last four years we have listened to, talked with, and learned from approximately 12,000 students in more than 150 home evenings. The format is always the same. We sing an opening hymn, an invocation is offered, and then Sister Bednar and I do our best to answer gospel questions asked by the students. We conclude with a benediction and lots of ice cream. Our Monday night visits with you are always one of the highlights of our week. Sister Bednar and I have learned much about you from your questions. You are eager and anxious to learn the doctrines of the restored gospel. You want direct and forthright answers to your gospel questions. And you have earnest desires to appropriately apply correct principles in your daily lives. We have also noted a number of recurring concerns and questions, gospel issues about which you wonder, you ponder, and about which you are seeking additional understanding. Each week, questions about gospel doctrine and principles— Marriage, careers, and Church government and procedures are quite typical. However, one question is asked over and over again, week after week after week. I will summarize this most frequently asked question as follows. How can I tell the difference between my emotions telling me what I want to hear and the Holy Ghost telling me what I need to hear? In my September 1999 devotional message, I attempted to provide the beginning of an answer to this important question. My purpose today is to build upon and expand my previous message. It is of interest to me, brothers and sisters, the timeliness of this topic given the events of this day. Before I came to the devotional earlier this morning, a woman, a mother, was in the Kimball building. She saw me in the hallway and came up and said, President, is there a TV somewhere that I could see the latest news developments? I said, certainly. And adjacent to my office, there's a conference room, and I took her in, and she sat down. There's a TV there, and she was able to watch the news. She has a daughter today who's in New York City who potentially could have been very close to the events that were taking place. We sat and we visited for just a short time, and then she said, I feel that things will be fine. And, brothers and sisters, this was not just wishful thinking. This was not just personal emotion. She was being reassured and tutored by the Holy Ghost. So today, indeed, this topic is most timely. Many of you may be wondering why I would choose to address this particular topic today. After all, this is the first devotional of the first fall semester at Brigham Young University, Idaho. Given the historic transition that is occurring and this important occasion, why would the President not discuss the vision of and plans for this Church-sponsored institution of higher education? Let me suggest two reasons for my approach today. First, as Brother Hall indicated, our devotional speaker next week will be Elder Henry B. Iring of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Elder Iring also serves as the Commissioner of the Church Educational System— and as a member of the Board of Trustees for Brigham Young University, Idaho. You will definitely want to attend that devotional next week and learn from Elder Iring. He will be here on campus presenting a message from the Board about the mission and purpose and role of Brigham Young University, Idaho. His devotional message will be an important one for all of us, and it would be premature and presumptuous of me To make extensive comments about the future and destiny of this institution before the Board has spoken officially. Let me simply say one thing to you students about the transition that is taking place as Ricks College becomes Brigham Young University, Idaho. Truly, these are days never to be forgotten. In the hustle and hectic pace of our daily lives, it may be easy for us to miss the miracle and the majesty of what is occurring on this campus. We often look back in Church history with great admiration and affection to the early years and episodes of Brigham Young University and of Ricks College. The pioneers who established these schools prepared a spiritual and educational pathway upon which generations of students have passed in like manner you students today are helping to write a new and important chapter in Church history. The decision by the Board of Trustees to create Brigham Young University, Idaho, was the result of revelation. I know and testify of that fact. And you students will live to tell your children and your grandchildren that you were here at BYU-Idaho at a most historic and important time. The second reason for my approach today is a simple one. The transition of Ricks College to Brigham Young University, Idaho, is a powerful and timely example of the principle I want to discuss with you today. This principle is described in 2 Nephi chapter 28, verse 30. Please turn with me to this verse in the Book of Mormon. 2 Nephi chapter 28, verse 30. That's found on page 109. In this verse we read, For behold, thus saith the Lord God, I will give unto the children of men, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. And blessed are those who hearken unto my precepts and lend an ear unto my counsel, for they shall learn wisdom. For unto him that receiveth I will give more. And from them that shall say, We have enough, from them shall be taken away even that which they have. Brothers and sisters, the theme for my message this afternoon is contained in the phrase, Line upon line, precept upon precept. If you and I would learn to discern the difference between our own emotions— and the promptings of the Holy Ghost, then we must come to recognize the Lord's pattern and process for giving us spiritual knowledge. And the phrase, line upon line, precept upon precept, describes a central feature of the Lord's pattern. I believe many of us unknowingly accept a faulty assumption about the Lord's pattern. And this faulty assumption— then produces erroneous expectations about how we receive spiritual knowledge. And that faulty assumption and our misinformed expectations ultimately hinder our ability to recognize and respond to the promptings of the Holy Ghost. Let me suggest that many of us typically assume we will receive an answer or a prompting to our earnest prayers and pleadings. And we also frequently expect that such an answer or a prompting will come immediately and all at once. Thus, most of us tend to believe the Lord will give us a big answer quickly and all at one time. However, the pattern repeatedly described in the scriptures suggests we receive line upon line, precept upon precept, or, in other words, many small answers over a period of time. Recognizing and understanding this pattern is an important key to obtaining inspiration and help from the Holy Ghost. Now, we all acknowledge that receiving a big answer quickly and all at once is possible and, in fact, does occur in some exceptional circumstances— Perhaps we give overmuch emphasis to the miraculous experiences of Joseph in the sacred grove, of Paul on the road to Damascus, and of Alma the Younger. If our personal experiences fall short of these well-known and spiritually dramatic examples, then perhaps we believe something is wrong with or lacking in us. I am suggesting that the particular spiritual process— evidenced in these three examples, with Joseph, with Paul, and with Alma, is more rare than it is routine, more the exception than the rule. As President Boyd K. Packer has explained, quote, I have learned that strong, impressive spiritual experiences do not come to us very frequently. Close quote. Most typically we receive a series of, of seemingly small and incremental spiritual impressions and nudges, which in totality constitute the desired confirmation about the correctness of the path which we are pursuing. Please remember, brothers and sisters, Nephi tried several different approaches before he was able to successfully obtain the plates of brass from Laban, and he did not learn how to build a ship of curious workmanship all at one time. Rather, he was shown by the Lord from time to time after what manner he should work the timbers of the ship. Please notice the Lord's pattern for providing spiritual knowledge in the following statement by President Joseph F. Smith. When I, as a boy, first started out in the ministry, I would frequently go out and ask the Lord to show me some marvelous thing in order that I might receive a testimony— But the Lord withheld marvels from me and showed me the truth, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, until he made me to know the truth from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet, and until doubt and fear had been absolutely purged from me. He did not have to send an angel from the heavens to do this, nor did he have to speak with the trump of an archangel. By the whisperings of the still, small voice of the Spirit of the living God, he gave to me the testimony I possess. And by this principle and power he will give to all the children of men a knowledge of the truth that will stay with them. And it will make them to know the truth as God knows it and to do the will of the Father as Christ does it. And no amount of marvelous manifestations will ever accomplish this. It is obedience, humility, and submission to the requirements of heaven and to the order established in the kingdom of God upon the earth that will establish men in the truth. Men may receive the visitation of angels. They may speak in tongues. They may heal the sick by the laying on of hands. They may have visions and dreams. But except they are faithful and pure in heart, they become an easy prey to the adversary of their souls and he will lead them into darkness and unbelief more easily than others. Quote. Now, it is interesting to me to note how, as a young man, President Smith expected a big answer quickly and all at one time. Ultimately, however, he received many small answers over an extended period of time, and thereby his testimony grew ever stronger. Each of us must also appreciate the roles of faithfulness and diligence and obedience in the Lord's pattern for receiving help from heaven. Please turn with me again to 2 Nephi 28, verse 30. I want to draw your attention to the same verse, but another phrase in that same verse. For behold, thus saith the Lord God, I will give unto the children of men, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. Now please note, And blessed are those who hearken unto my precepts, and lend an ear unto my counsel, for they shall learn wisdom. For unto him that receiveth I will give more. And from them that shall say, We have enough, from them shall be taken away even that which they have. Thus, those who faithfully hearken to and obediently heed the Lord's direction will learn wisdom and receive more. As described by Elder Richard G. Scott, When we receive help from our Father in heaven, it is in response to faith, obedience, and the proper use of agency. Close quote. Please note how this principle is both reiterated and amplified in the following verses. I'm going to move through these quickly. Please don't try to look these up. But just notice the dominant theme that I'll emphasize in each of these verses. First, from the 98th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, verse 12. For he will give unto the faithful line upon line, precept upon precept, and I will try you and prove you herewith. From the 42nd section of the Doctrine and Covenants, verse 61, If thou shalt ask, asking requires faith, If thou shalt ask, thou shalt receive revelation upon revelation, knowledge upon knowledge, that thou mayest know the mysteries and peaceable things, that which bringeth joy, that which bringeth life eternal. From the 59th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, verse 4, And they shall also be crowned with blessings from above, yea, and with commandments, not a few, and with revelations in their time, they that are faithful and diligent before me. From the 50th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, verse 24, That which is of God is light, and he that receiveth light, and continueth in God— receiveth more light, and that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. Brothers and sisters, if you and I would distinguish our personal emotions from the impressions placed in our hearts and minds by the Holy Ghost, then we must desire and seek, ask and discern, hear and obey, and then again desire and seek and ask and discern and hear and obey. Our faith and diligence and obedience are ongoing invitations for additional spiritual knowledge and insight. Faith leads to obedience, which yields wisdom and an ever greater desire for added light and truth. The process of discerning between our will and God's will becomes less and less of a concern as time goes by and as we strive to rid ourselves of worldliness— and thereby cultivate the spirit of revelation in our personal lives. That is, as we mature spiritually, we begin to develop sound judgment, a refined and educated conscience, and a heart and a mind filled with wisdom. It is not just that we have grown older, nor have we simply become smarter and had more experiences on which to draw, as important as those experiences are. Rather, the Holy Ghost has, over time, been expanding our intellect, forming our feelings, sharpening and elevating our perspective, such that we increasingly think and feel and act as the Lord would under similar circumstances. In short, we have made steady progress in striving to obtain the mind of Christ. This ongoing cycle of gaining spiritual knowledge ultimately produces a precious and a delicious fruit, but that fruit cannot and does not grow from a blossom to its ripened state overnight. Furthermore, such fruit cannot grow in barren soil, obedience to God's commandments, and our personal integrity and adherence to commitments such as the honor and dress codes at BYU-Idaho provide the needed nutrients for fertile, spiritual soil. It should be obvious to all of us that evil influences, such as filthy language, immodest clothing and appearance, and pornography are bitter poisons that kill the soil and halt the spiritually subtle process of receiving help from heaven, line upon line, precept upon precept. Brothers and sisters, there can be no shortcut. Around the law of the harvest. Truly, we reap what we sow. Now, both the history of the church and our personal lives are filled with examples of the Lord's pattern for obtaining spiritual knowledge, line upon line, precept upon precept. For example, the fundamental doctrines and principles of the restored gospel were not delivered to the prophet Joseph Smith in the sacred grove in a neatly organized binder. Rather, these priceless treasures were revealed line upon line as circumstances warranted and as the timing was right. As Elder Neil A. Maxwell has indicated, quote, Though the absence of vital gospel truths began to be remedied by the Restoration, appreciation and understanding were neither widespread nor immediate among all church members. Sequentially, though it was not then fully recognized by all, The precious truths concerning premortality were unfolded in accordance with the line upon line pattern of revelation. These came first in April or May 1829, in the translation of Alma chapter 13, and then with much more clarity and detail in 1830, while Joseph was translating Genesis and received received the Book of Moses by revelation. More came in 1832 in Doctrine and Covenants, Section 76, in 1833, in Doctrine and Covenants, Section 93, and so on. Still more came in 1842 when the Book of Abraham was published. Joseph Smith publicly preached a portion of the Doctrine of Premortality in 1839. Later, just prior to his martyrdom, there came the Soaring King Follett Funeral Sermon in April 1844. Most recently, in 1918, we received what is now section 138 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Quote. Another episode from Church History, described by Elder Maxwell, also illustrates the Lord's pattern. Quote, Meekness is so necessary as to our readiness to learn, not only these sweeping truths, but particular truths as well, which come incrementally, line upon line, precept upon precept. The Prophet Joseph Smith, for instance, first translated the thirteenth chapter of 1 Nephi in perhaps late 1828 or the spring of 1829. These verses note that certain things had been kept back and taken away. In June 1830, Joseph received the precious morsel we know as the first chapter of Moses. Therein Moses was told by the Lord that of the scriptures Moses would write, certain individuals would take many of them from the book. It was not until February sixteenth, 1832, however, after a conference in Amherst, Ohio, that Joseph said it was apparent to him from sundry revelations which had been received that many important points touching the salvation of man had been taken from the Bible or lost before it was compiled. On that date, among other things, came the sunburst of celestial truths about the three degrees of glory. Quote. Now I want to highlight one last example from the history of the restored Church. President Joseph Fielding Smith taught the following principle, quote, The work of salvation for the dead came to the prophet like every other doctrine, piecemeal. It was not revealed all at once. When the angel Moroni came to the prophet Joseph Smith, One of the things he told him was that the hearts of the children should turn to their fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the children, so that when the Lord should come, the earth should not be smitten with a curse. That is significant. That was the first inkling the prophet had concerning salvation for the dead, and he did not know just what it meant. He had a very vague idea of the meaning of the words that Elijah would come to plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers and I suppose he pondered over it a good deal. Close quote. That first small inkling given to the Prophet Joseph grew line upon line and precept upon precept and eventually included the restoration of priesthood keys in the Kirtland Temple, the performance of essential ordinances in the Nauvoo Temple, and the availability of more than 110 temples throughout the world today. Truly, progress has been made in this eternally important work, line upon line and precept upon precept. I could recount many more examples from Church history about the Lord's pattern. However, I now want to highlight some personal examples with which I hope all of us can relate. Sister Bednar and I frequently visit with students who wonder about career choices and how to properly select a school at which to study and receive additional education. Many times a student is perplexed, having felt as though the answer about a career or a school was received at one particular point in time, only to feel that a different and perhaps conflicting answer was received at another point in time. The question then is often asked, why did the Lord give me two different answers? In like manner, a student may sincerely seek to know if the person he or she has been dating is the one. A feeling of yes at one time may appear to be contradicted by a different feeling of no at another time. May I simply suggest that what we initially believe is the answer may be but one part of a line-upon-line, precept-upon-precept, ongoing, incremental, and unfolding pattern of small answers. It is clearly the case that the Lord did not change His mind. Rather, you and I must learn to better recognize the Lord's pattern as a series of related and expanding answers to our most important questions. Sister Bednar and I knew each other for almost two years— and dated for 15 months before we were married. I do not recall ever receiving a single, overwhelming, spiritual confirmation that she was the one. I do recall that as we dated, as we talked, as we became better acquainted, and as we observed and learned about each other in a variety of circumstances, I received many small, simple, and quiet reassurances that she was indeed a remarkable and a spiritual woman. All of those simple answers over a period of time led to and produced an appropriate spiritual reassurance that indeed we were to be married. That reassurance did not come all at once. Rather, it was spiritually subtle and gradually distilled upon our minds as the dews from heaven, as described in section 121 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Now, please understand that I am not trying to suggest the experience Sister Bednar and I had is precisely what will or should happen to you. I am suggesting that we should not feel spiritually inadequate or unqualified if we do not receive a big and immediate answer to a request or plea for help the first time we ask. And we will be better served spiritually by studying and understanding the Lord's pattern of revealing things to us line upon line, precept upon precept. A final statement by Elder Maxwell summarizes the importance of learning and applying the Lord's pattern in our lives. Paced progress not only is acceptable to the Lord, but also is recommended by Him. Divine declarations say, Ye are little children, and ye cannot bear all things now. I will lead you along. Just as divine disclosure usually occurs line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, so likewise we will achieve our spiritual progress gradually. Now, brothers brothers and sisters, I felt impressed to talk about the Lord's pattern today because that is exactly how Brigham Young University, Idaho is becoming Brigham Young University, Idaho. As the announcement about the future of this institution was made by President Hinckley in June of 2000, there was no extensive strategic plan already in place for the transition. The Board established the basic guidelines and parameters, but the programmatic details have come line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, during the last 14 months, and those details continue to come. I have been blessed to be a participant in and a witness of that process. And I testify that the Lord's pattern is in operation and it is true. If you and I have communicated successfully this afternoon, then we should be able to discern more clearly the consistent help from heaven we have received in our lives in the past. And our faith in the Savior should be stronger, and our hope for the future should be brighter, especially in the midst of the events that we saw this morning. We should leave this auditorium this afternoon with a little bit more confidence that we can recognize the Lord's pattern and process for giving us spiritual knowledge. The principles I have discussed with you today are true. I have come to know the reality of the Restoration the same way most of you have come to know line upon line and precept upon precept. I know that God lives. I testify and I witness that Jesus is the Christ, the only begotten Son of the Eternal Father. And I know that the Holy Ghost is a revelator and the testator of all truth. I further testify that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth in these latter days. President Gordon B. Hinckley is the Lord's anointed spokesman on the earth today. Of these things I testify, and of these things I declare my witness and express my love to you. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen.